Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour, hi, California. It's uh, Canada. Bonjour, hi, is not for California. I was just thinking about California because that's where I first met Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Hillsdale.edu for everything you need to know about Hillsdale. All of our dialogues, 470 of them, I believe, are found over at HughForHillsdale.com or on iTunes. Go and binge listen. It's the best way you can use your time is to listen to Dr. Arn and his colleagues at Hillsdale College. Merry Christmas to you, Dr. Arn. Is it freezing up in Hillsdale? No, it's, uh, what is it? It's high 40s, low 50s. Oh, you're better than the Beltway, actually, but it's still not as good. Aren't there days when you miss your Claremont Institute tenure? I, there are days when I miss being a Californian. Yeah, well, it's the weather, right? But yes. The point is, if, if a person is defined by the weather around him, he's not an independent person. There, well, I'm not defined by it, but I am certainly taking notice of it inside the Beltway today. I want to start today with an election recap. We're, we're going to return next week to the history of the English-speaking people, to the uh, book 10 of the history of the English-speaking people. But I want to do an elections recap with Dr. Arn. Dr. Arn and Hillsdale are not partisan. They are 501c4s or 3c3s, whatever they are. They don't do politics, but he can certainly observe. What do you think happened, Dr. Arn? Uh, well, I think that we're amidst uh, a fundamental transformation of the American electoral system. Uh, I think what's going on is partly Democrat versus Republican, but it's, uh, it's the extension of the control of the administrative state over now the method of picking people for office. And the way that works is uh, elections now last a month or more, and that gives more time for computer technology and databases and political organization to get out the vote. And it's not, you know, uh, if you just think for a minute, in the American political system, uh, the people are the ultimate repository of authority, and they express that authority through elections. And elections are, uh, when, the, when the American people meet to vote, it's parallel and superior to the way the legislature gets together and debates and then votes. Uh, Madison in the Federalist describes this beautifully as a great national discussion. It's important that it, it be one discussion, that it be loud, because it has to be loud enough, the voices have to be loud enough to echo across the land. That means it's not decided by whispering. Uh, and so it's very much, by the way, Churchill uh, conceives the British political system. The House of Commons passes a law, and then people debate it for a long time, and public opinion forms, and then the law may be sustained or it may be changed through the House of Commons eventually. So now what we do is we, uh, you know, first of all, everything is known about everybody. Uh, the databases are superb and getting better as we speak. And there's an enormous political apparatus to get out the vote. And what that means is somebody is likely to call on you 
especially if you're in a swing state, and and especially right now, if you're uh, if the Democratic Party thinks it can manage, get your vote, and they will bring you a ballot, it's legal in some places, uh, get you to fill it out and take it in for you. And so your connection to the political system is what, whatever 15 minutes that takes. And you don't have to go anywhere. And so that's, you know, that's, and that, that's one reason the vote numbers are going up in the way that they are. And it's the reason that it's hard to estimate, you know, because there isn't a day where there's a vote. I think uh, a third of the votes were cast in advance of Election Day, and they were very much dominated by the Democratic Party. Uh, I think there are exceptions to that. In California, apparently, four seats were picked up, and apparently they did this ballot. The Republicans did this ballot harvesting. Yep. And uh, I think, you know, whatever tool one can use, the other can use, probably. Uh, It's just that I, I regret the tool. I regret the fact that we don't have, we don't come to a conclusion about the elections. I want to, I want to illustrate the good and the bad of this a bit. The bad of it is Georgia. The runoff in Georgia occurred under fundamentally different circumstances than every other vote in America because it was a Senate race and the Senate was really on the ballot and the control of the Senate had been decided. So it changed the fundamental incentive to vote or not vote because you thought your vote was less important because Democrats are going to run the Senate one way or the other. That's the bad side. I want to be fair to the good side. Well, early voting means people who otherwise wouldn't vote get the franchise because they forget or they can't get there or they, it's very difficult. And we want them to be included in the absentee system was exclusionary. And both sides can learn the rules. So which, which outweighs the good and the bad in your view, Dr. Arndt? Well, first of all, uh, we want them to be included, sure. We want them to be the actors. Uh, the liberal society, that's a, it's, a, it's a form, right? It's, it's not particular to America. People who are not of the government make decisions about who runs the government. Well, it, you need people to exercise independent judgment to do that. And to the extent that this vote is uh, manufactured, uh, then that's not independent judgment. And that's too bad. And, and, uh, and see, you, you know, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I have two great characteristics about me. One is that I'm old, and the other is that I work at Hillsdale College. <laughs> and Hillsdale College is the most independent place on earth. We figure that our problems are our problems, and we've got to fix them. And we work on it all the time. We had our Christmas party last night, you know, and it's just right now, Hillsdale College is a very happy place. And we have a fellow feeling among us all. There are 800... Wait, wait a minute. I, I didn't get my invitation. Yeah, I, I'm looking around here, and I was not invited to the Hillsdale Christmas. I just wanted to point that out for maybe next year. Okay. Uh, you should, you know, I'll tell you what. If you want to, if, if you, uh, you're invited, and anybody who approaches, see the... We have a dining room. We built a dining room that will seat 900 people. What? It's not big enough. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's, uh, it's very beautiful. It's great. You know, we have some music. We, and what we do, it's very homey. It's, uh, uh, everybody who's been here in a five-year in- interval gets a pin. Ten-year, uh, 15-year, 20-year, uh, they get increasingly valuable gifts. And they're not wonderfully valuable as it is. 
but they get to come up and walk across the stage, and everybody salutes them. The 25-year and up, uh, I say a few words about them. Oh, my. Uh, you know, mostly to make people laugh. And uh, yeah. Well, I'm afra- I would be afraid of that if I were the 25 plus. <laughs> well, it depends on who they are, uh, you know, because, you know, I, I, if you've been here 25 years, I know you well. And, uh, and then the harpoon will be well aimed. Yeah, You'll know how you know, to. Uh, well, anyway, it's just a it's just a riot. See, and it's it's just a fact that Hillsdale College has national implications. Of course, here we on this radio show, but above all, it's a very intense activity taking place among about about two thousand people, and you know I can't remember how many it is. Maybe it's twenty five hundred student, faculty, and staff. And, uh, and, you know, we make it work. You know, if the heat goes off, everybody knows. Everybody's got to fix it. Everybody knows who's got to fix it. You know, all that, right? And so that's a chance for us to do a great work and be responsible for it. And that's the liberal society. That's what it's like. When the college was founded in 1844, uh, they met in City Hall. Here in Hillsdale, uh, and they and they didn't they, they just met because it was a public building and it was open and public meant anybody could use it, and they didn't get the government involved at all. The city leaders and college leaders joined together and made mutual pledges to raise some dough and have a college here. Well, that's just you know, and and the document by which they did it, which is what brought me here to this college, was written by people who became friends of Abraham Lincoln. So, you see, it's that independence. Not everything is marshaled. Not everything is the same everywhere. That's America, right? And, that's, and we've been the best at that in, in human history. Uh, a federal system, you know, and, and uh, local things are important. And so now everybody's in a database. And uh, it, it is chilling. It is Orwellian. We'll come back and talk about that. But I keep thinking about the first time a 25-year-plus has to walk across that stage. It's like Ahab sighting Moby Dick. Yeah. Uh, Orrin's got his harpoons. I'm just thinking about people walking across that stage. I hope they're feeling better this morning after <laughs> they got their iconium from Dr. Arn. Hillsdale, by the way, he never asked for money, even though he sponsors this hour. Dr. Arn. Uh, I think people ought to go to hillsdale.edu and support the college that is helping the country survive these transitions. Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. Dr. Arn, I had Ronna McDaniel on, chairwoman of the RNC, a Michigander. I managed to get Go Blue into her, her presentation with me, and she tells me the RNC is going to meet in California to set up the debate rules in January. And I'm thinking uh, it's going to be a wild ride in 2024 and 2023 because some Republicans did really well. It wasn't a red wave, but it was a series of red thunderstorms. In Florida, in Iowa, in Ohio, in Texas. And it also occurs to me that the places where there were red thunderstorms are also the places where they have school choice. Florida, Texas, Ohio, and soon Iowa will have school choice. Do you think there's a correlation? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I mostly have uh, grand long-term thoughts in politics. 
and uh, that means that I'm mostly wrong about the particular and the local. Uh, but uh, it, what are, you know, in the end, the purpose of the liberal society is to protect the privacy of the people in it so that they can join together and produce happiness and freedom for one another and defend themselves from their enemies. Well, the protection of the privacy is key, right? Now, what are the sources of privacy in a human life? There are three. Uh, one of them is, do you go to church or not? One of them is, how do you make your living? Because, you know, everybody's got to make a living, or else you've got to rely on somebody to give it to you, and that'll be up to them. And then finally, your children, your family, right? And so the education system has been transformed in America, incre- oddly enough, increasingly in the last 20 years. School choice has been an issue much longer than 20 years, but here's, yes. here's the fact. It's in the, it's in the Center for Education Statistics of the Department of Education. Uh, the only good thing I know that it does. Uh, it, uh, since 2000, uh, students are up uh, 7.5%, teachers are up 8.5%, and administrators are up 92%. And the administrators now are about the same or slightly outnumber the number of teachers. It's amazing. And, and you got to ask yourself, what do they do? Right? Because in school, learning happens in a classroom. There's a teacher and a bunch of students, and the parents of the students bring them to school. And so now what it is is a massive system of rules contrived by people who, by the way, are not teachers. Diversity, equity, and inclusion officers. I've always, I've always thought, what in the world do they do after they get it done? Yeah. The diversity, equity, and inclusion officers don't go away after they've diversified, included, and made equity available. Yeah, that's right. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an eternal, self-perpetuating machine. Well, that, and, and see, that, that structure, which is a, it's a sort of model of what's happened in American politics, uh, that structure is also the source of enormous political support to the left because the teachers' union is one of the first and one of the biggest of the public employee unions who are now the biggest givers in politics. Yes. And so they, they, and they have to justify their existence. Like, uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, uh, great honor has lately, lately been done me, also some bow to my power, I think, that we have a new master's of classical education program and we're founding it and they want me to teach the course the first time it's taught in this new school on the history of American education. Oh. Well, they want me to do that because I've been cranky about it, not fully satisfied with their plans. And so that, was a, that was a shrewd move by whoever the dean is. Yeah, ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, these guys are all friends of mine, and they're wonderful people. And, and so now I've got to figure out how to teach it, see. But I'm a teacher, and that's, you know... If I was just a complete incompetent dreg, despite my power, they wouldn't have asked me to do that. Well, that's a, a teacher is a thing, right? It's, it's a calling. You give your life to it. And now their authority in the schools is diminished. And these other people who make up half or so of the, of the total employment in public education, which is, you know, millions of people, uh, what do they do? 
And the answer we'll come is back to what they do. They get in the way of education. It's what they do. And they take up resources. And we'll talk about that after the break. Don't go anywhere. Election 2022 is on the table with Dr. Ron and the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. What do they do? What do all those people do? I have just said, if you're just tuning in, to Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and all things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. All of these dialogues, going back many years, are at iTunes. They're also at hughforhillsdale.com. We're talking about the fact that the red wave didn't materialize, but red thunderstorms did. And if you chart where the Republicans did the best, it happens to be the states in which there is school choice at its most advanced degree, Florida and in West Virginia, and in Ohio, and in Iowa, and in some parts of Texas. And Dr. Arn and I are talking about, does that suggest anything for the political platform? I don't know if you saw former Secretary of State single out Randy Weingarten as the biggest uh, internal problem in the United States because of reunions, but he's right, Dr. Arn. Yeah, if, uh, and so that's right. Uh, education is more than half the budget of every state. And so these governors are all over education. And I, I went this couple months, couple what, a month ago or something. I went to the Republican Governors Association meeting in Orlando, and I swear about eight of them made a beeline for me and said, "Come and help me fix my schools." And you know what? I can do that, right? Because and for the reason is, it isn't rocket science. Uh, somebody has to take the time to put together a whole curriculum. Uh, my opinion is that uh, a committee of 10 excellent teachers at various grade levels could do that very well in a year. It's taken us 10 years, but we have uh, a great curriculum now. And it's yes. tested in schools, and it's common sense, and it's awesome. And it's, you know, and it's like history, it turns out, already happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to change it. <laughs> well, actually, it's not hard to pretend that it's changed, but yeah, it's but very it's, hard to actually change it. <laughs> so it's, uh, so you just tell the story. I mean, a governor of a western state, because we're involved in several states now, and uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, who's the show pony of the governors now, and he's a heck of a guy, uh, he goes around talking about Hillsdale College a lot, and he did it this thing, you know. He said... Hillsdale College has been helpful to me, right? Huh. And and uh, and he's very skillful. Sometimes when the governor asks you for help, you offer to give it, and it's very complicated, and it's a mess, and you have to sort of work through it with them. Maybe you'll be successful. With him, it just happens. You know, he's, I said, you know, we we need help with our curriculum, and my answer was, well, we have a curriculum, and they say, how can we use it? And I say, <laughs> I will go online. <laughs> uh, Go get it. It's free. And, uh, and, you know, they're just so anyway, he's a, a governor of a western state with a lot of Native Americans said to me, we have to have a process 
we want you to facilitate the process. And I said, you know, facilitation of processes is something that I've spent my entire life avoiding. Avoiding. You're not uh, very good at it. (laughs) And, you know, we have all these Native Americans, said the governor. And I said, well, good. You've got to tell their story. And, and uh, I happen to know something about the Native Americans in your state. And I happen to know that the story is both noble and tragic. And the punchline of the story is that the last great chief of the Comanche, who are the toughest of them all, which ruled, you know, 25 or 30% of the United States for 150 years, with a population of about 30,000 people. There, you know, there's something else, right? Well, the last chief and the fiercest chief was Quanta, half white, and he killed more settlers than anybody. But then he sort of figured it out and said, we're going to have to make peace. And he died as a real estate developer in Denver. Going I love that story. <laughs> you know, you know uh, Dr. On, on that story... I want to pause. I don't don't name the governor, but I want to pause on DeSantis and his off ramp to you. Uh, governor DeSantis did something very interesting this week. He summoned, appealed for a grand jury to convene in Florida to investigate COVID, to investigate the federal government's operation of COVID and the people who made money from COVID. And I laughed a bit because not only is it necessary, it's a page out of the Democratic playbook. They did it to election 2020 in Georgia, where they have grand jury going to investigate what Lindsey Graham said to whom on what day and what Donald Trump said to who on what day. And they got a grand jury going in New York to investigate Donald Trump. And so all these Democrat states have gone after Donald Trump. And now Ron DeSantis has studied that. And he says, you know, I think we need a grand jury on COVID and the CDC and the FDA and the HHS and the uh, big drug companies that made these things. I don't know what it'll find. I trust the grand jury system. But how brilliant is that to take a page out of their book? And I'm in Switzerland. You're in Switzerland. I don't know who the Republicans are going to nominate, but I just think that was deft. That is the definition of deft. You know, I, I so uh, DeSantis is very skillful. I mean, it, it come to find out uh, politics is hard. It's difficult to get that right. And very few people are really good at it. And DeSantis did... You know, it turns out DeSantis found the same people I found to advise him about how to handle this in the state. Because if you're the governor of a state or any kind of decent person, you don't want people to fall over dead in multitudes. Uh, In my particular case, uh, I don't want the kids dying of COVID. Right. As I told them. And you don't want your aged professors dying of COVID either. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, and here I, I was able to. Uh, the, the conditions of a college are peculiar. Uh, that means if you work in a college, you've got to figure out how this works in a college. And what I figured out was it's easy to isolate everybody except the kids. And the whole, you know, because faculty members can teach by Zoom. Uh, it, you know, and so I just soon made a rule that if you're afraid of this, stay home. We'll figure out how to deal with that. But the kids, if they stay home, their college is disrupted, and they don't want to stay home. And so I would tell them, you know, I, I, mean, I found some experts, and it turns out I found the same experts that Ron DeSantis independently found, and they helped me through this. And I, I kept saying to the students, you have to take care. If you die of this, it will be very inconvenient to me. And. <laughs> 
And they were very sympathetic. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, in other words, he kept the state open. Yes. But it wasn't just an act of raw bravery. He had to think, you know, what do you do? What are are these claims? Are they true? How many people are going to die from this thing? And he felt the, the, the responsibility to think urgently about that and come up with the best plan because the other thing is, I mean, Jay Bhattacharya and Scott Atlas and Martin Kildofer are now affiliated with Hillsdale College, but I heard Jay Bhattacharya on a Peter Robinson podcast say, Peter, there's no safe thing to do because if you lock down the economy, there will be a massive number of deaths and bankruptcies from that. And if you don't, or if you do, a lot of people are going to die of this new virus. Because there's not a, you know, that is the lesson. There isn't a safe choice. There is not a safe choice. So before we go to break, a grand jury in Florida. What do you think of that as a political move? And political in the classic sense. He's governing. It sets up a conflict between levels of government. Yes. Because... There's nobody in power in Washington, D.C. that will willingly cooperate with a Florida grand jury. Exactly. And it's a good make- conflict to have, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's, he, he strikes me as being like, you know, one of the great generals, right? You just never know how they're going to hit you. <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to, we are not declaring for, we are in Switzerland. Are you not in Switzerland with me, or are you out there in Florida? Have you, have you planted a flag yet? I have not, a flag. and I will not. No, and I you will not, I and I will not. I, I, you know, I, I think he's good, I'll say that much. I think he's even very good. But, and, you know, there's Trump out there, too. And, and how, we're ever going to And there's your friend Mike alone. Pence. There's your yeah. good buddy, Mike Pence, who talks about in his book, So Help Me God, about his trips to Hillsdale. There are your good friends, Mike Pompeo has been there. you got all sorts of good friends. You can't pick anyone, or at 9 to 20 people will feel betrayed. Yeah, I won't be able to go out to dinner in Washington, D.C. Well, that's and, not such a lot. that's not my line of work, nor yours, right? Uh, yeah. Like, the most important thing I have to say about the elections is this change that has been made. It means that voting is less independent than it was. When we come and, back from break, we're going to talk about voting in the primaries coming up in 2024. Don't go anywhere, America. The campaign for the presidency has begun. I'm talking with Dr. Larry Arn, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. Everything Hillsdale is found at hillsdale.edu, but you find Dr. Larry Arn most Fridays on this program, which they sponsor. And I want to tell Dr. Arn about my conversation with Ronna McDaniel, who was and is and will probably be the Republican National Committee chairwoman. And they meet out in our old digs of California in January. She'll be reelected. They're going to lay out a schedule of debates and primaries. The Democrats want to toss out New Hampshire, and this show is heard all across New Hampshire, Dr. Arn. They want to deprive New Hampshire of the opportunity to go first, but the New Hampshire Constitution says it will be first no matter when we hold the New Hampshire primary. So if they set up the South Carolina primary to help Joe Biden, two weeks before that, the New Hampshire primary will happen. I am curious what you think the RNC ought to do about debates in 2023. Rana suggested to me they will begin in July in Milwaukee. July of 2023 in Milwaukee and roll out from there. I told her, start earlier. You're leaving money and voters behind. What do you think? 
Well, you, you need a lot of debates, and the more coherent they are, the better. And, you know, this thing where you've got 19 guys and girls strung across the stage, uh, it's, it, it, it's, it isn't really a debate. Uh, I, I once, it won't work, but I once proposed this radical thing to three or four of them that I knew who were going to be leading contenders. I said, you guys should just make a cartel. And you should seize control of the debates, and you should cut out the mediating journalist. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You just gouged your ox. Yeah, the so-called mediating journalist. Oh, twice. Yeah, and then you should just have a whack and bake argument with some rules about how long he gets to talk. At two, Larry. Yeah, you know, that's uh, so in other words, we're trying to recover the Lincoln Douglas debates. They want me on that wall, Larry. They need me on that wall. But yeah, okay, you be there to <laughs> to be expert, right? You're to ring the bell, to ring the bell when the time is up. That's all they really need. That's it. Just do that. And you know, you're the least annoying, oh, keep my stop. I'm putting that on my tombstone. The least annoying <laughs> among an annoying <laughs> class of people. <laughs> Can we get that taped? Can we put that on the entry to every, the least annoying of an annoying class of people? My gosh, that's going down. You know, I saw Mitt Romney this week, and he told me he put a statue of a dog on the top of one of his houses because people, no, I love Mitt. And Mitt said he put a statue of a dog on top of his house because people knew about the dog on the roof. And I said, I can tell you right now, my obituary is going to include that I threw Bob Woodward out of the Nixon library for a day. Until RN called me up and said, that's, that'll be in my obituary. Now, least annoying among an annoying class of people. I want that in my obituary, Dr. Arn. <laughs> well, I probably won't live long enough to write your obituary, but I promise to do it if I'm alive. <laughs> but your idea is right. Get them together. The Lincoln-Douglas debates. Yeah, just have a thing, right? And, and you know, you can... Uh, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, debates had a hard moderator in one respect. Uh, that is to say, when the time was up, it was up. And that didn't mean it didn't go over some. It did. But uh, And remember, there's 30,000 people there, which by experiment, Ben Franklin proved, is as many people as can gather in an outdoor setting and hear the human voice. Right. And, and, uh, and that was a, a grand occasion. And the speeches were 45 minutes or an hour long. In 60, 90, 30, wasn't it? 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 30 minutes? That's right. And uh, there you go. And uh, uh, that's, so, in other words, you can develop an argument. And, and, you know, if people don't have time to listen to that or won't take the time to listen to that, uh, then at least they get the chance, right? And it's all now minced up and cut up by these partisans who pretend not to be. And uh, I don't mind. You're right. You're right. And I, by the way, a, a modern elected official wouldn't know what to do with 60 minutes to talk. But you can give them five, and if they can't deliver a five-minute coherent speech, they shouldn't be up there. You know, some of these governors, you know, governors are, like, you know, I work around a bunch of highly educated people. And, you know, they just know a lot, you know, more than the average bear. Some governors are kind of like them. Yep. Some are, some are not, many are not. But, uh... You know, One who is not running that we can talk about, Doug Ducey's a very smart guy. 
He's not running for president. With him, and uh, uh, I, I like him. He's the only individual that the fetching Mrs. Hewitt has ever allowed me to hold a fundraiser for in our home. That's how she esteems Doug Ducey. He's a good man and a good dad and a good husband and a good governor and a smart guy. How did the panel go? Uh, The panel was good. I I wouldn't say I thought it was great, but it was good. And and above all, it was, uh, you know, governors like to talk about good government. And they don't, uh, the best of them, name what the controversy is about. Because why are we having a controversy about schools? Because other people want to raise our children. That's it. That's it. We come back, and next week we are back on the History of the English-Speaking People, Volume 10. Do not miss it. In the meantime, go to hillsdale.edu for all the prior Hillsdale Dialogues. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.